So this morning's Bible reading is Luke 2, verses 41 to 52. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travellers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem in search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, where have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favour. Well, I was, uh, I was thinking back to when I was teaching biblical studies at Cardiff University, uh, back what feels like a lifetime ago now. And uh, there were a couple of memorable years when I concluded that there was a student in the class who knew far more about the subjects that I was teaching than I did. And on both occasions, I'm pleased to say the students in question, both women went on to achieve doctorates in Old Testament studies, and one of them is now a college principal. I'm left with that feeling that uh, all teachers, I guess, get from time to time of realising that one's students have exceeded the ability of their teacher. And I guess this is how the teachers in the temple must have felt as they disputed theology with the 12 year old Jesus. Artistic depictions of this scene are often called Christ among the doctors, which of course takes the word doctor back to its original meaning of being one who is qualified to teach rather than its more recent usage of referring to medical practitioners. Now, I'm not going to get drawn into the debate that has been raging recently on Twitter as to whether holders of doctoral level research degrees should use the title doctor, uh, or whether it should be reserved for those who actually know how to save a life. Except to say, of course, congratulations to Dr. Jill Biden and her husband on their new roles. But whilst we're exploring the origins of words, I do note that not only does the title doctor have a historic meaning which underlies its current colloquial use, but so also does the academic award of PhD. These days, you can get a PhD in almost any subject, from science, technology, engineering and mathematics, to English literature, modern history, and of course, theology. But the origins of the PhD degree, the doctorate in philosophy, as it is, lie in the medieval church, 
where it was granted to those who had demonstrated an excellence in philosophy, the love of wisdom. Because the word philosophy is a joining together of two Greek words, phileo, meaning to love, and sophia, meaning wisdom. So philosophy means literally the love of wisdom. And a doctor of philosophy is the teacher of the love of wisdom. Interestingly, this combination word philosophy actually only occurs once in the New Testament, and it's in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to look it up, where it describes those who were so in love with the idea of wisdom that they were falling out of love with Jesus. But the words phileo and sophia, love and wisdom, occur many times and are clearly presented as attributes to which the followers of Jesus should aspire. We are called to philosophy, we are called to love, and we are called to wisdom, and we are called to love wisdom. But these are not neutral terms. We can love the wrong things, and we can be wise in the wrong kind of wisdom. So to narrow it down a bit, the followers of Jesus are called to love God and to love our neighbours. And we are called to grow in the wisdom of God. And our story for this morning from Luke's Gospel of the young Jesus among the doctors in the temple challenges us to think about wisdom, about Sophia, and how we can follow Christ's example of growing in wisdom as the years go by. Significantly, when Jesus enters the temple, he is still officially a child. The age of maturity for Jewish men in that period was the age of 13, and Luke specifically tells us that Jesus was only 12. Now, partly this may be because Luke really likes the number 12. It's symbolic for him of God's continuing and ongoing revelation. So the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, are echoed in Luke by the 12 apostles. And his story of Jesus in the temple at the age of 12 puts Jesus symbolically at the intersection between historic Judaism and the new relationship with God that Jesus was bringing into being. But there's something important to notice here, which is that Jesus is not actually disputing with the doctors in the temple. He's learning from them. This isn't some Noel Wunderkind coming in and showing the establishment the error of their ways. There's no hint here of replacement theology with Jesus supplanting the wisdom of Israel. Rather, we are told Jesus listens and asks questions. He is a student of his heritage, learning from those who are themselves lifelong students of wisdom. Within the Jewish tradition, wisdom was more than a concept, more than an idea. Wisdom is sometimes presented in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, personified as a woman who people can relate to, who they can get to know. Uh, if you want to see this, have a read of Proverbs chapter eight. And those who live alongside wisdom for many years can themselves become wise. Famously, Solomon's request to God was not for riches or power, but for wisdom, because he realised that wisdom was a far greater gift than any other 
earthly reward. So here in, in Luke's gospel, we meet Jesus, a child on the edge of adulthood, listening and questioning, not lecturing or teaching, growing in wisdom as he grows in years. And reading this passage today, it's difficult not to think of the way that the education of our current generation of children has been affected by the pandemic. From the cancelled exams of last summer, to the terms of teaching online, to the debates this week over reopening schools next week, the tension between public health and the education of children is one of the key issues we face. And the problem is that education really does matter. Learning matters. Even Jesus needed an education. That's what he was doing in the temple for those days. And we need to hold teachers in our prayers as they try to fulfill their vocation to teach, whether in person or online. But education and learning are not simply something for children, although the skills to do it well are clearly best learned in childhood. Rather, we are all called to a life of learning or to use another biblical word for it. We are called to discipleship. The very word disciple means student, follower, a committed learner. And each of us who considers ourselves disciples of Jesus are called to learn from Jesus and from one another. Some of you have been joining me on Monday evenings over this last year for my lectures on the letters of the New Testament. And you're all invited to join me this coming year as I'll be teaching through the Gospels. I'll be doing two Monday evenings a month. If you'd like to know how to join this course, drop me an email. I'll send you the invitation. Which brings me to the point of education. It isn't simply the acquisition of knowledge. This was where the philosophers in Colossae were growing wrong. They were making it all about the things they could learn. Learning isn't wisdom. It's merely the first step towards it. Knowledge isn't wisdom. It's merely another step towards it. The point of education, the point of discipleship is the ability to use knowledge well it is the acquisition of wisdom. It is philosophy. It is the love of wisdom. And we each of us have all the knowledge in the world available to us on our phones, but this doesn't make us wise. We need wisdom to discern what is good from what is harmful. We need to acquire wisdom to go with our knowledge Within the Christian tradition, the personified wisdom of the book of Proverbs became equated with Jesus himself. And whilst on the negative side, this opened the door for the heresy known as Gnosticism, more positively, it points to wisdom as more than just the accumulation of knowledge. Just as Jesus, we are told, grew in wisdom through his encounter with the doctors in the temple, so we can grow in wisdom through our encounter with Jesus. The Gospels give us Jesus's words, and we can learn these by rote if we want to. But the key question for Christian discipleship, it seems to me, 
is not what do you know about Jesus? But instead, what have you learned from Jesus? If our knowledge of Christ is not transformatory and relational, then it is merely information, which has some value, but only as a step towards the true goal, which is growing in wisdom with Christ. The wisdom that comes from Christ, you see, is categorically different to the wisdom of the world. Paul captures something of this in a wonderful passage in his letter to the Corinthians. I'm just going to read a few verses from it now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. In our reading today from Luke's Gospel, we heard how Jesus increased in wisdom as he aged, and that this increased his standing, both in the world and in the eyes of God. And this final coupling of the world and of God points to something significant about the nature of wisdom. Its pursuit is a holy task. It is akin to prayer or other spiritual disciplines. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to the spiritual disciplines. Devote yourself to philosophy. Loving wisdom is a spiritual task. And wisdom is learned in part through interaction with people as Jesus discovered when he sat with the doctors in the temple but it's also acquired through spiritual discipline as we learn to hear God speaking to us through Christ by the Spirit. So as we start another year, my challenge to each of us is for 2021 to be a year when we seek to grow in wisdom. Now for some of us this may involve more intentionally making use of the opportunities for increasing our knowledge such as enrolling on the biblical studies lectures on the Gospels, or maybe revisiting some of the sermons from recent years through our church website. We have a whole website page with them on there if you want to go delving. Or perhaps read a book about an area of faith which you would like to learn about more. For others of us, it may be that we need to make a commitment to deepen our relationship with other Christians. Learning from them as we listen and ask. So maybe consider joining a house group. And yes, we are still running a house group online. For others of us, it may be that we will choose to deepen our engagement with the spiritual disciplines, engaging more intentionally with our inner world before God. It may be that you need to seek out a spiritual director. In all of these, of course, balance is necessary because wisdom is found in the interweaving of knowledge and relationships and spirituality. 
The goal is always integration. As we practice this path of wisdom that we are called to, learning from others and doing so in the presence of God, we are called to philosophy, to the love of wisdom. Simon, thank you for your sermon there. We'll just take a few moments of silence to think about what you said. And in a minute, we will have a small panel discussion as well. So I welcome Nick Chris, Martin, Jess and Dermot here to the discussion. Um, <clears throat> also feel free to write in the chat things that have encouraged you or made you think from the sermon. And we will start our panel discussion now. So um, to my panelists, um, Anything uh, that you felt affected you in what was said? I think what was really interesting, and thank you, Simon, so much for your sermonette. It was fascinating. I'm sat here with both of my parents and they both loved it as well. Um, so I don't know if everyone knows um, in the congregation, but I'm, I'm a children's nurse um, and we are taught as nurses to be lifelong learners. Um, my father's a consultant paediatrician and my younger sister is a doctor also and um, my father just told me that he is also taught about the concept of lifelong learning. You, you never stop learning within the medical field and I thought that that um, in terms of our pursuit of philo, like philosophy, philosophy um, was was, was fascinating. I hadn't realised that the original um, title of a doctor was one of was one of a, a lover of knowledge and of a teacher. So that was really interesting. And I think that as not only as disciples but also as humans within our world, we we search for knowledge and wisdom. And I think we all take those steps to whether we're of faith or not. We take those steps to learn more about the world around us and and ask those bigger questions I think. Lovely thank you. Yes I love that phrase philosophy the love of wisdom. Philo Sophia. Um, I was thinking that um, when you go through your own personal struggles and there's always an end to that struggle but I always think um, that's when I'm really trying to learn as much as I can from from Jesus and to get the answers that I need to 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 push through whatever I'm going through at the time so I always find that um, my struggles or my experiences is where I'm pushing to get to to know as much as I can from God.
Yeah, I love that. I think it's often only when we have some sort of trouble in our lives that we really kind of start to concentrate and listen to God or sort of somehow seek him. And when everything's easy, we somehow just laissez-faire and we're not sort of so interested in, in pursuing knowledge or pursuing understanding. So that's yeah, really helpful, Nick. Well, thank you. Martin, did you want to say something? Yeah, I, I, as Simon was was speaking and picking up on different themes, I love the image about the woman um, at the beginning about uh, being described um, in, I think he said, Old Testament literature in regards to what wisdom, kind of an image um, relating it uh, to, to, to women in, in Old Testament um, uh, literature. So that speaks to me again about relationship with wisdom and how we engage with wisdom and how indeed wisdom engages with us perhaps. And that, and kind of thinking about um, balance there at the end. I guess the challenge to me is about then how do I increase my capacity for wisdom? And that, it, that, that there is this ongoing, um, I suppose discipleship, but there's something about how do I increase my capacity for wisdom? Um, and it, it being both a head and a heart knowledge somehow and what I embody. Um, I guess that's both a challenge and a comfort from Simon's words. In listening to our scripture reading this morning, I was struck by a couple of things. It took his uh, family a, a day to realize that he wasn't there. And I was struck by the idea of uh, his family missing Jesus and all the anxieties that would be stirred up as a parent of not knowing where your child was. And I thought, you know, where did he spend that night? <laughs> and, um, and the idea of missing Jesus just sat with me quite a bit, missing Jesus and missing Jesus. And uh, in our lives, there are times when things are more mundane or we're busy or we're preoccupied. And, uh, and at times I find myself thinking, Lord, I miss you. I, I miss Jesus. I miss time with Jesus. And uh, it brought me back to, to what Simon was saying towards the end of his sermon, that, that wisdom not only is it the ability to use knowledge well, but it's about learning from Jesus. And I think he used the phrase transformational encounters with Jesus. And that that's the kind of language that makes my heart sing because I think that when we do encounter Jesus or, or have something revealed to us by the Holy Spirit about the character and nature of Jesus, that is transformational and that is, um, uh, that's life-giving and life-affirming. I was also struck by the 12-year-old Jesus already having a firm sense of who his father was in terms of his heavenly father and I wondered what it was like for Mary to hear that or for Joseph to hear that, if Joseph was still alive, uh, to, to hear him allude to God as his father. Uh, I, was, I was just, yeah, uh, taken by that. But the whole idea of a disciple being a committed learner uh, and the ability to use knowledge well and have encounters with Jesus, all of those make my heart sing. And I think, again, as Martin was saying, it speaks of relationship. And, uh, and of an ongoing and developing and deepening relationship and a deeper understanding of, of how the relationship works or the dynamics within the relationship. I think 
Um, that, that's really interesting, Dermot, because I think, Nick, with when you were saying about the struggles that you go through and, and that is when, you know, you, you learn more about yourself, but also about, about the Lord. And, and I was thinking the same thing. It, it's at those times when I'm not even conscious of missing Jesus or missing that time with, with God that, you know, obviously pre-COVID I would come to church and, you know, and Simon would speak a sermon or, or there'd be a Bible reading and I would suddenly become aware of, you know, life having been too busy and me not spending that time with, with God. Um, but also I think in those moments, like you were saying, saying Dermot is when we can learn and we can, um, you know, we can grow in knowledge and, and, and in our wisdom. Um, it's at those times when we are apart from God, that when we are brought back to the Lord, that is when we become almost more wise um, through learning not only about ourselves, but also in that moment, we learn more about maybe the, the you know, God's word or, um, or, or Jesus's life. So, yeah, really interesting. Thank you all, my wonderful panellists. It's really, really, really interesting. And there have been some lovely things put up in the, in the um, text, the chat, um, by folks. And I'll try and summarise a few of those in a minute, but um, really worth um, having a read through those as well. Um, I also just wanted to say to folks, there's at least 47 people signed on on Zoom alone. And I don't know how many are watching on Facebook. So it's really, really encouraging to know that we're just becoming a bigger and bigger community and people are just so faithful on coming to these services all the time, you know, all through the Christmas period. And we've had a lovely time together. So thank you. Um, Liz has, has, has written quite a long bit. I won't read it all, but one of the bits I take from it is just that there are no shortcuts in, in getting to wisdom, in learning as a Christian. And if anyone offers you a shortcut, usually it's... Um, it's wrong. I don't think that's probably quite what she was saying, but it, it's my little distillation of it. Um, who's asked? Oh, Solomon. Yes, yeah, Solomon has written a lovely uh, bit about um, Jesus using parables. And so we have those parables written in our Bibles. And he, he's saying that maybe those are ways of making us think and ask questions and through questions, learning. Um, Nigel, <laughs> sorry, it doesn't always show me the name. Um, Nigel, our church secretary has written about just deepening relationships. So often we learn not just from books or um, uh, listening to a talk maybe, um, but through, through each other, the way we interact with each other and just sharing together as Christians and we learn by being in community and that's, that's so true and so wonderful. And Veronica has written um, about how she was touched by the Colossians reading and apparent that God's wisdom is, um, is, is a lot, even, um, even God's foolishness is more than our wisdom. So that, you know, we need to look to God to, to uh, even begin to start to expand our wisdom. So the cross was uh, the way that Jesus came to um, bring about transformation in our lives. And yet it seems foolishness to um, our modern day sort of, or any days of politics. Um, and Graham's written, which is lovely. Helen has written about librarians encouraging their, 
as a profession trying to encourage people to life lifelong learning Duncan has written about learning from other faiths as well um, and listening to them and Jeff has um, contributed quite a lot um, about wisdom and maybe trying to think about how Jesus thought um, as opposed to um, you know trying to think about how did Jesus think so, yeah, there's a lot to learn sorry I've gone on for too long let us pray even in the darkest moments, love gives hope. As we pray in our individual homes, so let us pause and find a moment of peace as we lift our hearts together in prayer. For the health workers tending the seriously ill, for the scientists working on vaccinations of all diseases, for the researchers analysing data and identifying trends, for the media outlets working to communicate reality, for the supermarket workers, hygiene and sanitation providers, for the good news stories, for the recognition that isolation doesn't need to mean loneliness, for the notes through letterboxes offering help and support, for the internet and telephones and technology that connects, for the dedication of teachers, head teachers, support staff at schools, colleges and universities, for the awakened appreciation of what is truly important. Thanks be to God. For those who are unwell, and concerned for loved ones, for those who are very anxious, for those immune suppressed or compromised, for those vulnerable because of underlying conditions, for those watching their entire income stream dry up, for those who have no choice but to go out to work, for those who are afraid to be at home, for those who are more lonely than they've ever been, for those who are bereaved and grieving, for those in countries and regions torn apart by violence, God be their healer, comfort and protection, be their strength, shield and provision, be their security, safety and close companion. Loving God, strengthen our inmost beings with your love that bears all things, even the weight of this global pandemic, even the long haul of watching for symptoms of patiently waiting for this to pass, watching and waiting, keeping our gaze fixed on you and looking out for our neighbours. Instill in our shaken souls the belief and hope that all things are possible with your creative love. For strangers to become friends, for science to source solutions, for resources to be generously shared, so everyone everywhere may have what they need. For your perfect love that knows no borders may cast out fear and selfishness that divides.
So from Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And from Isaiah, for they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We choose to press in close to you today. We keep you first in our hearts and lives. Without you, we would surely fail, but with you, there is great hope. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you for bringing us into this new season up ahead. We look forward to all that you still have in store. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>